Good morning. Ah, I pushed all the right buttons. How about that? <laughs> it's working. Can you hear me, Dennis? Okay. If Dennis can hear me, we're good. <laughs> what I'd like to do um, to begin is... Uh, Go to the Lord and ask for His help and His guidance this morning. So let's do that together, shall we? Let's bow in prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, we come acknowledging Your greatness. Lord, we, we praise You for who You are. We, we love the things and the gifts that You give. But Lord, most of all, we love You for Yourself. And we praise you for your greatness, for your love, for your holiness. Lord, for your graciousness, your forgiveness. Lord, for your loyal love to us. We ask, Lord, that you would be our strength, our guide, our enlightenment today. We pray that the things that you have us, you would have us to... Uh, Understand today that we would, we would understand those things, Lord, and that we would um, have hearts to follow your guidance in our lives, your lead. And we'll thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Is everyone relaxed, comfortable? It's just kind of deep breath, exhale, relax. Okay, stand up. Please, everyone stand up. <laughs> See, um, that's how that works. No relaxing. <laughs> and I want you to stand because I want us to do something together. If Michaela could put up Matthew 6, I want us to read together something that we all probably know by heart. Um, but let's think about this as we read it together. There is value in reading God's Word together aloud. It really is. So let's do that together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. And now you may be seated without relaxing. No relaxing. <laughs> the topic today, and that's mainly why I chose that passage of Scripture is because twice in there it refers to kingdom. Your kingdom come. Yours is the kingdom. And I want us to spend this morning um, thinking about that and asking ourselves what is God's kingdom and where is God's kingdom and when is God's kingdom? Is it in the past? Is it in the present? Is it in the future? 
Um, hopefully, we'll have a better understanding of, of those ideas if I speak clearly. Problem. Problem is, we're Americans. What do you think of when you think, I mean, okay, let me stop. Not today, but let's say go back 100 years or 50 years. 100 for Dennis and 50 for the rest of... Um, <laughs> go back in your mind and um, think what, it, what being an American is all about. Isn't it about liberty? Isn't it about unity? Isn't it about freedom? Isn't it about... Um, having our own representatives govern us, Govern, government being the servant of the people. I think that's kind of um, a lot of the basic ideas that this country was uh, put together with. God doesn't say that. God says, mine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Um, so for us as Americans, it's very challenging. We independent. <laughs> uh, if we've lived all our life in this country, born and raised, and never stepped into some foreign country, um, we've never personally experienced living in a literal human kingdom. And I know you might think, well, the way certain governments behave, they act like they're kings, but um, in our country. But that's a whole different topic. We're not going there. We do highly value our personal freedoms and our national freedoms. Um, we think of these, these as very worthwhile, something worth um, actually fighting a revolution to obtain. Remember that? Oh, again, most of us don't remember that personally. But we did some years back. We fought a war to get rid of a king, didn't we? We fought a revolution to uh, rid ourselves of a king. As Americans, we're not interested in having a king. So that's a challenge. That's, uh, that's a difficulty for us when we come to the idea of kingdom and king. So, let's talk about that. Let's see what we can discover in the Bible about God's view of the kingdom. By the way, the word kingdom breaks down into the idea, the domain of the king. The king's domain. Kingdom. A domain is the sphere of authority and rulership. So, if you can remember back a few minutes, we just read the phrase, Thy kingdom come. That expresses a desire for the establishment of God's kingdom. Um, this morning I want to point out seven aspects, seven perspectives, if you will, of God's kingdom, and I hope you get a flavor of the import, the importance and the value that God gives the reality of his kingdom. So um, it's not just a phrase. It's not just um, 
old-timey ways of talking about things. It's a real thing, and we'll see that. So seven aspects of God's kingdom. Here we go. First, again, a phrase we just read. It is in heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It, the kingdom, and God's will, is done in heaven. God, eternal in the heavens, reigns there eternally, outside of time and space, before and after creation, eternal. That's kind of a big concept, eternity. We think of eternity, maybe, when we think of it at all, as a long time, a really, really long time. Actually, eternity exists outside of time and space. That's where God dwells. He inhabits eternity. And um, that's how God can look and be at any point in time, at any time, because it's all right there before him. The helicopter view of the parade. He sees the whole thing all at once. Um, Knows the end from the beginning. That's our God. But he is king in heaven. I think that's something we can all wrap our minds around. So secondly, see we're already moving on. Secondly, God is king over his creation. So outside of time and space, God is king. Inside of time and space, and by the way, who made it? God did. He's the creator thereof, and therefore he owns and has rulership and authority. Kingdom domain over his creation. Isaiah 37 and verse 16 says, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone, Of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Um, And (laughs) we could go on and on. Here's another one. Psalm 96.10. If you have your ears tuned to hear that, you'll see this idea all the way through Scripture. But another verse. Psalm 96 verse 10. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world also is firmly established. It shall not be moved. He shall judge the peoples righteously. So, God is king in heaven. God is king over his creation. There's a little side note on this topic. Um, Remember in Genesis 1, what did God say to Adam? He said... um, I'm going to give you dominion over the earth and over the beasts of the earth to rule over them. That's a sub-kingdom, rulership, authority, dominion. Those are king things. (laughs) And God gave those to Adam Um, and his descendants. Remember? Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and have dominion over it. Adam was made to be an underking, but that privilege was revoked. (laughs) Remember? Uh, God, however, is still king of his creation. So there's a a way that uh, 
the fall actually impacted what God's plan was for his creation. He hasn't abandoned that plan, by the way. It'll come back. Okay, three. The third aspect of the kingdom of God is that God chose a people of his own, Israel. And, looking at Exodus 19 and verse 6, God tells Moses to tell the children of Israel, You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So God wanted Israel to be a model of God's kingdom. And he specifically told them that right there. And that was, uh, remember Exodus 19? Who can remember the story of what's going on in Exodus 19? Come on. Come on now. That's where Moses was up on top of Mount Sinai and God was talking to him and giving him the tablets. And there was thunders and trumpets and fire and all kinds of scary stuff on that mountain. God told people, don't get too close. Don't even let your animal touch it. Um, But this is one of the things that God was giving to Moses to tell the people. I've chosen you. I want you to be my kingdom. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God wanted the Israelites to be a witness to the nations of his kingdom and his kingship. God actually refers to himself as Israel's king. First uh, Samuel chapter 8 and verse 7. Now we're, now we're moving. Um, by the way, there's going to be lots of references because I don't want you to think I'm making this stuff up. This is right out of Scripture, okay? <laughs> I think that's important. In 1 Samuel, chapter 8 and verse 7, what's the story back, background here? Um, a period of the ju- judges. There you go. Thank you. I know I gave you a little hint. Uh, the period of the judges. Okay. That's after Israel came back by God's deliverance, came back from Egypt, and before they started uh, their human kings. There was a whole, almost 500 years, where we refer to it as the period of the judges, and and various people in various places would um, help rescue Israel from captivity, uh, the different nations around them in, in Canaan. They had not conquered Canaan yet, completely and there was lots of enemies nearby that didn't like these newcomers wandering into their territory so they they were taken captive many times when we think of judges we think of cycles up and down trusting the lord calling for his help and god rescues and then ignoring him and starting to worship the idols and being punished by by the nations around them and yet in 1 Samuel 8, we're getting to the end of the period of Judges. By the way, Samuel himself, we think of as a prophet, but he was also the last judge 
in the period of the judges. He was the last one of the judges. And he's very disappointed. The people come to him and said, we're tired of this. We want a king just like all the other nations. Give us a king. Ask the Lord to give us a king. We want a king. Um, and Samuel was really upset about that because he knew something. And here's what he knew, and here's what God told him. God said, heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. What that tells us, I should not reign over them, is that who had been reigning over them? God himself. God was their king. God literally was the king of Israel during that period. They didn't pay much attention to him most of the time, but he was their king, and that's the way he wanted it to be. So when they asked for a king, God reminded Samuel, they're not rejecting you, because Samuel was kind of the go-to guy, right? In that period, he was the judge. And now they said, we don't want a judge, we want a king. And <clears throat> that hurt personally, because, okay, they don't like what I've been doing here, so they want somebody else. And God said, no, it's not about that. They're rejecting me, me, the, the Lord, as their king. Also, God uh, spoke to King Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 28 and verse 17. The Lord, he said, <clears throat> has torn the kingdom out of your hand and giving it, given it to your neighbor David. Some people think that maybe that uh, the whole idea of a kingdom put God into a little tailspin. and Oh, I wasn't planning for this, and uh, now we've got to come up with plan B. Um, not, not the case. God had a plan for a king in Israel. His plan just wasn't Saul, it was David and David's descendants forever. God later promised, as we see, <clears throat> um, that David and his royal line would be established forever. Israel failed, by the way. Again, remember Adam failed to maintain dominion because of the fall, because of um, sin. He was no longer qualified to have dominion over the earth the way God intended. Israel also failed to be the intended model of God's kingdom on earth. God wanted his nation to be a beacon of how God wants things done to the nations around, to the world around. Okay, this is how it should go. This is how it should be. This is what it should look like. I'm king in heaven. I'm king over creation. But you people need to see it in action, and this is my people, and they're going to show you, except very rarely did they show God's ideas. God, um, Israel failed to be the intended model of God's kingdom on earth, and God meted out justice to them. In Ezekiel 36 and 22, it says, Thus, Says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake. He's promising to restore and rebuild 
And he says, I'm not doing it because of you. I'm doing it for my name's sake, which you have, my name's sake, you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. In other words, God's saying, you know, I wanted you to be that witness for me. And instead of being the kind of witness I want, the witness you've been makes people curse me. Makes people profane my name. They look at you. They look at you, Israel, and how you treat each other and how you treat those around you. And they say, we want nothing of that God. So there was justice to be meted out on Israel. And God did. He, uh, he scattered them. Apparently, God cares <laughs> very much about the way he and his kingdom are portrayed. So, three perspectives on the kingdom so far. God of heaven, king of heaven, king of creation. Israel being a model of the kingdom, a failed model. I hope you're getting a flavor that from the beginning... The idea of king and kingdom matters and is important to God. I think it's heavy on my heart because I think, like I said, as an American, I don't pay attention to the idea of a king, of a kingdom. Uh, it's, not, it's not in my mindset. I think most of us might fall in that category as well. Number four. Great progress. This is the middle perspective. Okay, there's three before this, and there'll be three after this, and then we're done. Something to look forward to. Okay. The fourth perspective, we see the kingdom displayed, again, on earth, in the physical presence of the king, Jesus. Jesus is the king, and he came physically to earth. In Matthew chapter 2, the first couple of verses says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. So somebody knew that there was a king, even though most of the uh, Jews in the, uh, at the time, especially the religious leaders, they were blissfully unaware. Um, also in Luke 17 and verse 21, um, the ESV version says, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Referring to Jesus, that was a quote directly from Jesus. Um, where the king is, there is the kingdom. Jesus is king and he was there. The kingdom is in the midst of you. The fifth aspect we see of God's kingdom is <clears throat> Jesus, the king, in each believer. And each believer in King Jesus.
um, we who know Jesus, who have been adopted into God's family, who are saved and born, born again and saved, um, God says in, yeah, so I don't have this right handy, but I'll get it. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13, God has done something through Jesus for us. <laughs> Don't ever get a Bible app that requires internet connection. It takes a while, but it can. Okay, in verse 13 of Colossians 1, it says, He... God has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. God has put us in Jesus' kingdom. So that's, um, that's news maybe to somebody. Um, hopefully you're aware of that. But that is a real thing that has already happened. It happened in the past. It says he has done this already. It's an accomplished fact. And then later in Colossians 1, verses 26 and 27 say, The mystery which has been hidden from the ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints, to them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is... Christ in you, the King, King Jesus in you, the hope of glory. The King lives in us. That should uh, excite us. And also in 2 Corinthians in 5, verse 7, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So we are in Christ. Christ is in us. Again, God has translated us, has moved us into the kingdom of Jesus. We have heavenly citizenship. In Philippians <clears throat> 3, verse 20, it says, For our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship. We are not, we don't think of, of being a, a member or a brother or sister in a church fellowship as citizenship. But we are citizens of Jesus' kingdom. Our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, you can't have a citizenship in something that's not a country or a nation. So we have national place, a place in the nation, in the nation of the kingdom of God. And then we have a job as citizens. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. 
what, uh, what's the job of an ambassador? Anybody? What do you think? Hmm? Between countries, between nations? Okay. Uh, a representative of one nation to another, shall we say? Um, when, we, uh, when we read about embassies around the world, those embassies um, are sovereign territory of another country. So our embassy in London is a little piece of the United States in London. And that's by agreement of nations. But that's a, a good way for, the, for that whole setup to work. And who gets to be an ambassador? Um, I don't know if you've noticed this or studied this or been aware of this, but people who are named ambassadors have um, some experience and some qualification to do that and the first qualification is you're a citizen of the country <laughs> that you're representing we don't hire an ambassador who was uh, born and raised in Chile or Azerbaijan to be our ambassador our representative we we choose an American to represent America as an ambassador Paul tells us that we are ambassadors for Christ. If we're his ambassadors, representing him to a, a different kingdom, that means we are members of his kingdom. We are citizens of his kingdom. So those two things go together. Our citizenship is in heaven. It's not will be in heaven. It is in heaven. And we are continually ambassadors for Christ. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's our job as ambassadors. But it implies that we are citizens of the kingdom of God. So, that was number five. Number six, <clears throat> the sixth perspective on the kingdom is the body of Christ in the world and locally, more than just each individual believer, the body of believers is meant to express the kingdom in the world. Express God's kingdom in the world. As Israel was meant to do. Remember we talked about that. Now, I want to be clear that when I say that the church, which is what I'm referring to here, the body of, of Christ, the body of believers in the world, is meant to express the kingdom. That is not to say that it's the job of the church to force the kingdom into the world, to take control of the world and be a, a physical reigning entity in the world. We are to model kingdom values, kingdom perspectives, kingdom behaviors, um, kingdom priorities, not only individually but corporately, so that the world sees it. That becomes a witness. That becomes one very powerful way that God's kingdom is made known. Um, 
the whole idea of, of establishing the physical kingdom, that comes a little later, and we're going to touch on that. But that's God's job to do. Um, it would be, <laughs> I think, maybe our highest accomplishment as a church that, that when Jesus comes to rule and reign and brings us with him, that the way he rules would be very similar to the way we had displayed his kingdom already. That would mean that we were doing something right as his, um, as his witness of his kingdom in the world. So let's look at Acts chapter 20 briefly. This again is when Paul was um, saying goodbye to the elders at Ephesus. He'd spent a lot of time there. Uh, there was relationships built, and he was having to leave them, and he knew he wouldn't be back. He says in uh, verses 24 and 25, But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. There's that ambassadorship job, isn't it? Testify of the gospel of the grace of God, and indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. So there is a connection between testifying to the grace of God, the gospel of the grace of God, and preaching the kingdom of God. We're looking at the same diamond, just different facets. Different sides of the same gem. Um, so, as the church, as our, as this church, this local body of believers that meets here, by the way, the building isn't the church. Did you know that? <laughs> we are the body meeting in this building. We could meet in other buildings or in um, backyards. Right, Dennis? <laughs> we do that at least once a year. Um, so it's not about the, the building or the location. It's about the fact that we are a citizenship. We are citizens together of God's kingdom. So testifying of the gospel of the grace of God and preaching the kingdom of God are right there together. We can also find clues to the kingdom nature of the church in two words which are very central to the whole idea of the church as we know. Um, these words were understood in the Greek world before the writing of the New Testament. So these, these were words that the New Testament writers used, but that were commonly understood in the day. And they had a meaning then. And the people that heard the, the New Testament writers use these words, understood them in the context of the existing meaning of the words. And the words are, evangel, which is... <laughs> 
Um, by the way, an aside, I'm a word nerd. I like words. <laughs> I like to find out where they came from and what they mean and um, what their implications are. The word evangel is putting English letters into a Greek word that is translated what? Anybody? What is the evangel? It is the gospel. What is the gospel? It is the good news. But see, <clears throat> that word, that, the Greek word, not, not evangel because people in that day and in that location didn't really speak English, but the Greek equivalent of evangel, which I won't try to pronounce, was a unknown word. And what it meant was, good news, we have a new king. <laughs> There's the king again. Good news, there is a new king. And typically, when... See, because they didn't have uh, Twitter or um, CNN, and so when... When... Uh, When the power was transferred, a peaceful transfer of power, you may have heard that phrase, um, from one emperor or king to another, the word had to get out. Okay? And so they would send out heralds, they were called. And the word for that, the word for the person that did that was actually angelos messenger, a herald of some news. The news was good. We have, we have a new emperor. We have a new king. Typically, those heralds, and it was a very solemn announcement, and it carried with it the assumption that we have a new king. Are you loyal to him? Will you express your fealty, your loyalty, to this new king. Um, and that's how the people who read that word in the New Testament understood that. This is an announcement of a new king. Who would be that new king in the gospel of grace? That new king is Jesus. By the way, that's almost always the right answer in church. You can't go too far wrong with that answer. Um, the new king is Jesus. So, the gospel carries with it the idea of king and kingdom. The second word that um, is connected to king and kingdom is the Greek word that your Bible translates, church. And anybody remember what that word is? Go ahead and blurt it out if you remember what word gets translated church. Because it's not church in the Bible. It's a different word. Ecclesia or ecclesia. You may have heard that. And um, you may have also heard that that means called out ones. But in the understanding, again, a word that was 
understood in the day. Um, it's referenced hmm, four or five hundred years before Christ in the city of Athens. And it meant the ecclesia is the public legislative assembly of Greek city-states such as Athens. Athens called, uh, called an assembly when they had to make a city-wide decision. So it's a governance issue. It's a, a town hall, if you will, in a small thing where we just make decisions about how this town is going to be run, how this, in, in the case of Athens, how this city-state is going to handle a certain situation. It was required attendance by all the, um, all the men of the city, the men who were um, of, shall we say, voting age. Um, that's the way we would understand it today. Um, so both terms, both evangel and ecclesia, are, are best probably English understanding of the word ecclesia rather than church would be assembly or congregation with the idea that this was a group called together for a purpose, the purpose being to um, guide decision-making as a group. That's the word that God uses to describe us, the church a group called to govern in a kingdom way. What, uh, what can you take away from that thought? That we are the model God has chosen in this day and age to represent His kingdom. We, the church. We individually. And the church has authority to decide the church as a corporate group, not some one person in the church, but the church together, is given that right to governance of how we do things together and with the, <laughs> with the overriding goal of displaying God's kingdom on the earth. How will they know that God rules if we don't display it, they won't. Good thoughts. Number seven, and I think I mentioned that there were seven. Hey, hey, <laughs> we're getting toward the end. Number seven, mercifully. The seventh aspect of the kingdom is... We find it described in the book of the unveiling of Jesus Christ. Oh, you may know that as the revelation. It is the literal, physical, earthly reign of Jesus Christ for 1,000 literal, physical years on the literal, physical earth. At the end of the thousand years, Christ will deliver His kingdom to God the Father. As we see in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 24, it says... Then comes the end when He, Christ, delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when He puts an end to all rule and authority and power. And later, 
in that same passage, he says, and then God is all in all. <laughs> There's a completion. Started out, God is king in heaven. And we get all the way back around to the end of the millennium. Christ delivers the kingdom back to God, and God is king in heaven. And over creation and over all. Um, recap. God is king in heaven. God is king over creation. God chose Israel to model the kingdom. Jesus, the king himself, walked the earth. And where the king was, the kingdom was. The kingdom of God is in your midst. Each believer is indwelled by the king. Christ in you. And each believer is in the king. Um, the church is to be the model of kingdom values, kingdom priorities, kingdom living um, within the world today, here and now, so that the world will know. That's what Jesus means when he says, a new commandment I give you, that you'll love one another as I have loved you. By this will all men know that you're my disciples. And in chapter 17 of John, he says, I pray that, pray my Father that they all be one as we are one, so that the world may know that the Father sent the Son. What we do impacts what the world knows about God. And that should uh, wake us up a little bit. Hmm. So, like I said, um, so individually and corporately, we represent the king and the kingdom. And then, ultimately, Jesus will reign for a thousand years on the earth. Um, you may not see it that way. Take it up with God. He wrote it down. Um, don't argue with me about that. That's not my thing. <laughs> I didn't write that. <laughs> and the point. So... What's the takeaway? The point of this message is not to leave you with a list to do for successful Christian living. Sorry. Or its opposite, a list of things to avoid. My hope is that you will take away a new or renewed grasp of the fact that God Himself is kingdom-oriented. And that fact ought to permeate every detail of our lives as kingdom citizens. What do we call, typically, the people who live in a kingdom ruled by a king? They are his loyal subjects. That's the noun, ver noun version of the same word can be used as a verb. 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 Sorry. Um, we will be... We will subject ourselves to our king. That means he's in charge, not us, doesn't it? It's his rules, not ours, that matter. This ought to permeate every detail of our lives as kingdom citizens. Also, remember that, where your citizenship truly lies, which ought to be a huge, huge 
current events issue. Because if we don't realize that our citizenship ultimately is in heaven, what are you going to do? I mean, yeah, you're going to vote, hopefully. But can you think of a, of a way that voting solves anything? I can't. One may be preferable to the other, but it's not going to solve the bigger issues. But when we understand where our citizenship truly is, we're above all that. We, we exercise our earthly citizenship appropriately. God instructs us to do that. But we don't get all worried about it, do we? Because we know we belong to a higher kingdom. Our Lord desires that we model His kingdom and its values here and now, both individually and as a body together. <laughs> Our risen King is gathering the citizenry of His kingdom. Have you thought of it that way? You know, we, we talk about evangelizing. Oh, evangelist, evangelize, evangel, the good news that there is a new king. When we share the gospel, that ought to be in it because that's what it means. There is a new king. You don't have to get depressed about how the world's kingdoms are operating because there is a new and higher king and he's established. He always was, always will be. Our risen king is gathering the citizenry of his kingdom and all that we are and all that we do is meant to model a clear godly difference um, between God's kingdom and the world's kingdom, the kingdoms of this world. By the way, who is the ultimate king of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience? That's Satan. <laughs> when we pick a side humanly, we're picking one side or the other of Satan's kingdoms. I'm sorry. God's kingdom is above that. Now, I guess maybe the most important aspect today would be to ask yourself, am I a citizen of this kingdom? Am I a part of God's kingdom? Remember, Jesus is gathering his citizens together. Jesus told Nicodemus, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So, God places us in His kingdom by the process of being born again. You can remove all your doubts if you have any about your place in God's kingdom. You can remove your doubts. If you will only come to Jesus the King, confess your sinfulness to Him, and ask Him to save you, He will. He did me. He can do anybody. He will give you new birth and make you a kingdom citizen. Boom, just like that. He has translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. Those who have come to Him. 
those whom he has saved. Alternatively, you may be a citizen and assured of your citizenship, but you might have been lax in your duties as a citizen, in your, in your kingdom living, lax living out your kingdom values. Tell Jesus your shortcomings. Ask for his guidance and strength to overcome and be a model citizen. He will guide you. He will strengthen you. It's something to keep in mind. It's, and I, I've <laughs> really focused on the concept this morning um, that the idea of God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is not something that was back then. It's not something that's out there someday only. It's those things plus it's here, it's now, it's today. And we're part of it. Let that be uh, something that you keep in mind. Have eyes to see, ears to hear those concepts as you read God's Word. They'll start jumping out of, out of the pages at you. Um, God cares about His kingdom and about how we display it in the world. Let's bow together in prayer, shall we? <clears throat> Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that um, you're very clear that you are sovereign, that you reign. Lord, reign in us. Reign in each of our lives. Reign in us corporately together. Help us in this place to display your kingdom values in the world so that the world may know that the Father sent the Son so that the world may know that we're your disciples. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for, for bringing us into the kingdom of your dear Son. In Jesus' name, amen.